This weekend, as we continue in our series, Habits, we're going to focus in on prayer to God the Father. It's an amazing thing that in the scriptures we are taught to see God as our Father, our Heavenly Father. Um, We know that earthly fathers fall short. You may have had the perfect father, but um, still not perfect. And yet God is uh, able to step in and fill in the cracks and fill in the places where there was a shortcoming by our earthly fathers. And so we're taught to see him this way. And this morning we're going to look at that as we're in Luke chapter 11. And, uh, and focusing both on God as our father and on prayer. There's some things about fathers that I thought of as, we were, uh, as I was preparing this message. Fathers represent authority to us. And authority is important. Um, they deserve respect, again, because of the role that they fill. It's an important role. And it's important that we have authority figures in our world. Helps keep order <laughs> in our world. Um, Fathers are designed by God to sacrifice themselves for their families. They don't need to be thanked and appreciated every day in order to get up and do what they do. They struggle to balance providing and being present. Um, Fathers want to be present in their homes and for their families, and yet to provide means almost every time it takes them out of the home to do that. And so it's a constant struggle and battle, the need for their presence, and yet the need for them to provide. Fathers can be taken for granted in their role. That's why it's important to have Father's Day. Sometimes they feel like maybe the only reason people want them around is because of their wallet. (laughs) Um, And so it's important to remind them there's other things that you appreciate about them besides the provision. Um, They don't always have a lot of relationships. A lot of times they're focused on work and the things they have to do. And so uh, that can be a struggle to have a support system. And almost always, fathers know they can't do it all. And that the role is probably bigger than what they're able to shoulder. And so it's important for all of us to again recognize we have a heavenly father that we have access to. As we look at Jesus as he lived his life, he accessed the relationship with God the Father. Um, In fact, in Luke chapter 5, verse 16, before we get uh, to chapter 11, we see that Jesus had a habit of getting away to pray. Jesus had a habit of getting away to pray. As we look at habits and at prayer to God the Father, developing habits of doing this are very important. And Jesus modeled it for us. In Luke 5, 16, says this, but Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness to pray. Taking time to get away, to connect with God, is absolutely essential part of successfully living the Christian life, successfully fulfilling the mission that God has for us to do. You will not be successful at it without developing the habit of connecting with God just as Jesus did himself. I wonder if you've discovered that way in which you can connect to God, where you can spend time, maybe uh, even if it's not a lot of time, just a little bit of time each week, 
but where you can get in a place where you're able to focus. For me, throughout my life, a lot of that, most of the time it has to do with getting out into, uh, into the wilderness, just like Jesus, into some spot in, in nature where uh, I can kind of uh, escape from all the other things that are on my mind and heart and just be able to talk to God. We have the wildcats, you know, just to the south, beautiful area. Um, when you get up into some of those spots, you almost feel like you're in the mountains, you know. Um, it's beautiful. A lot of that uh, is available to us. That might be a place where you would be able to <clears throat> or maybe are able to connect with God. I know for some people it's their back porch. Just grabbing a cup of coffee in the morning, be able to sit and have a quiet moment and be able to talk to God. Listen for God's voice and direction. I know some folks who have created a room in their house, kind of a prayer closet, where they can go in and kind of uh, get away from everything else and know that they're able to meet with God in that, in that place. My father-in-law used to kneel beside his bed. <clears throat> that was the spot where he would pray and talk to God, read his Bible. Maybe that works for you. <clears throat> Some people need to stay active, maybe do a prayer walk or um, a prayer run, prayer bike ride, prayer motorcycle ride. There's lots of options. You know, there's no real rules on it. The only rule is that we do it. C.S. Lewis said, the moment you wake up each morning, all your wishes and hopes for the day rush at you like wild animals. And the first job each morning that you have consists in shoving it all back, in listening to that other voice, taking that other point of view, letting that other larger, stronger, quieter life come flowing in. We all have a lot to do in this life, developing the habit of connecting to God the Father, spending time with him. Again, Jesus had this habit. He was able to focus on God and get in a place where he could do that. And Jesus, remember, the Son of God, God in the flesh. And yet he needed to stay connected to God. Sometimes our prayer time, our time with God is kind of rote or, uh, yes, we develop the habit, but we end up just kind of doing it as a ritual. Or maybe we do it in moments of desperation, which again is not bad, but what we're talking about here is a focused time that you have intentionally planned. There was a young man at graduate high school. He went off to Bible school. And uh, when he was in Bible school, uh, he signed up his freshman year for a 7.30 class, not knowing that it would be impossible to stay awake in a 7.30 class. But he did because the freshmen don't know. And so he was in that class one morning trying to listen to a professor talk about something important, right? But uh, he had stayed up too late the night before and his eyes started to, and pretty soon he had his head down on the table. He was asleep. Fortunately, he had a good friend next to him uh, who saw that he was asleep and said, hey, wake up, professor just asked you to pray. And so he set up real quick, God, thank you for this. You know, he said a prayer real quick and the professor kind of looked at him funny and just everybody let him pray. And then when he finished, the professor said, thank you, moved on with the class. Maybe your prayers look like that a little bit sometimes. I know mine can, mine can. But we want to pray with intentionality. We want to, uh, as best we can, develop habits and set aside time. I know one of those times could be on the day that you set aside to rest and kind of focus on God, which I hope you're doing that. That's important. Um, but, but anyway, that we're developing this. How do we pray then? What is it supposed to look like when we pray? Well, fortunately, Jesus did not leave us without instruction. 
In Luke chapter 11, starting at verse 1, follow along as I read the first four verses. Jesus asked by his disciples, Jesus, would you teach us to pray? Once Jesus was in a certain place praying, as he finished, one of the disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. Jesus said, this is how you should pray. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. Give us each day the food we need. And forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And don't lead a, and don't, excuse me, and don't let us yield to temptation. Jesus first teaches his disciples and us to address God as Father. S.D. Gilbert said it may be hard on some fathers not to have a son, but it's so much harder on a son not to have a father. And it's not just sons, it's daughters too. We all need a father in our lives. We need someone who understands us, who uh, is for us, and who will do the hard things that uh, need to be done in each of our lives. I think we struggle sometimes with our fathers. I know father hurts and father issues are real prevalent in our world, and, and uh, with each generation, it seems like those issues don't diminish. They continue to persist and maybe grow those hurts, those issues that go back uh, to some point in our lives where we had a hurt related to our fathers. And I think some of the struggle with fathers is they're in this role. They have this responsibility of being an authority. They have a responsibility to train us and to correct us. Both of those things involve typically some, some conflict, a little bit of push, and that can create some hurt. It can prick a little bit when someone presses into our lives. And yet we all need that. We need someone doing that in our lives. We need it desperately if we're going to stay on the right path in life. I think a lot of times we don't recognize the importance of that role until we find ourselves in it. And then we have the job of teaching someone else, correcting someone else. I know a lot of young men who have come to realize that once they got in the role of father, started to realize how difficult it is. They were sure they were going to do it, not like their dad did. You know, they were never going to hurt their children, never offend anybody. And yet they discover that the role itself, by nature, it's almost impossible not to cause some of that, no matter how kind and gentle you try to be. You know, as a pastor, um, uh, I'm in the role, right, to teach and to uh, hopefully instruct and then sometimes correct. And uh, I know it's hard to believe because I'm such a nice guy, but at times I'll offend somebody. You know, they'll get offended by something I said, the way I said it, the way I did it. And you know, my heart is that no one would ever get hurt in the church, that no one would ever be offended in a sense of, you know, feeling like they were mistreated. And yet the truth is, um, in spite of our best efforts at times, it's going to happen. We all need to recognize that and recognize our limitations as leaders, um, as uh, um, people that, that represent those things, authority and instruction. And again, I think it's why it's so important that we're connecting to God our Father, even though you may have run into someone who even feels hurt by God, 
and the way that he, uh, they perceive him to be. We need the instruction. We need the training. We need the correction. And yes, human fathers struggle with their own motivations and their own sin issues. God, of course, does not. And so for a long time, my kind of life mission statement was to connect people to God, and it still is. Um, connecting people to me isn't necessarily going to help anybody uh, like they need help, but if I can help people connect to God, then I know they can find in him all that they need. Part of what's required to receive instruction and correction even, and correction's the hardest, it's so hard, but part of what's needed in there is that we have the trust in the person that's bringing that instruction or correction, right? So that if we trust them, even if it stings a little bit, we can get through that and say, hey, listen, I know that they're, they have my best at heart. They're trying to work out uh, and help me. And that trust and those trust issues are so hard uh, to sort through. You can't just say, hey, I'm going to choose, you know. Uh, well, you can try to say I'm going to choose to trust, but there's a lot of emotion involved in that and a lot of feelings that, that work against us. Back in 1988, pretty good year. Um, <clears throat> some really uh, great people in the world graduated high school that year. But back in 1988, um, there was uh, Winter Olympics. And so uh, there was uh, an event on television. It was kind of remarkable. You know, they have the downhill skiing, that slalom race, and it's real fast and real intense. And, uh, and so they actually um, televised the event with some skiers who were blind. And they're trying to go down the hill and, and ski through this course that, again, is uh, pretty difficult. It's hard to do if you can see, forget about if you can't. And so they showed the, this event with blind skiers, and everybody's amazed, how's this going to work? Well, of course, uh, the way it worked is they had sight guides. They had skiers who went alongside them who could see and then spoke instructions to them. And miraculously, seemingly beyond understanding, those blind skiers as they went down the hill, if they listened to their guides, they successfully navigated the course at high speed in a way that kind of blew everybody's mind. We've got to be able to trust the voice of God, our Heavenly Father, as he instructs us and corrects us and teaches us. If we'll listen to him, we will successfully navigate the course of life. It requires that we are, however, interacting with him. I've run into individuals throughout my life that, again, have the perception that God has either caused some great evil or harm to come to them or, uh, at the very least, has just allowed it and didn't stop it. And this causes them to have a view of God that's less than favorable. Um, I have uh, quite a few individuals that I've met throughout the years. One young man was um, physically beaten by a stepfather repeatedly over a period of time uh, to which he prayed that God would rescue him and stop this from happening, and God did not. And by his own account, he had to take matters into his own hands and, and fight his way out of that situation. And so he says, you know, God wasn't there for me. I don't even know if God is good. He certainly didn't stop what was happening to me. That can happen for all of us to a certain, at, at different levels and different degrees. I think it's important that we're interacting with God, or we will project our own ideas onto God. We just naturally will react to the things that have happened to us and our assumptions about them. 
there's some truths that we need to grab, uh, uh, grab a hold of in order to understand who God is and how he really uh, is working in our lives. I think there's one important truth that uh, I re- try to remind everyone of, and especially young men like this, that evil does not come from God. He's not the source of evil. Um, evil comes from other places, but it is not from God. Also, that God is not against you. He's not sitting there waiting for you to mess up so he can knock you down. God loves you and he knows you. He knows the number of, the number of hairs on your head. <laughs> he knows you better than you know yourself. His thoughts about you are too numerous to count. You think your mind is active, right? You think you overthink things. Let me just tell you that God's mind is far beyond anything you can imagine. He thinks of every single one of his children, his creation, constantly. And he knows everything about us. He knows everything that's going on. He's not blind to our situations. We don't really comprehend how much God loves us. And can I just tell you, if you're not sure of that, if you're still questioning it, or if you're in the midst of a struggle and you're going, I just don't know if that's true, Pastor. Can I just encourage you that you would benefit by spending more time talking to God. Jesus, as he teaches his disciples to pray and teaches us by extension, Jesus teaches us to focus on four main areas when we pray. This helps us pray correctly, to understand as we pray, even understand more that God that we're interacting with. First of all, we address him as father, as we already noted, a term of uh, um, closeness, of, uh, of intimacy. And it's important for us to recognize that. But as we begin to pray, Jesus first teaches us to focus on God himself. That we are connected to and focusing on God as he really is. And so he says this, pray that the knowledge of God would grow on the earth. The awareness of who God really is would increase that it wouldn't diminish and that God's plans would continue to advance. He says it this way, as you begin to pray, pray like this, Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your name be kept holy. What does that mean? Well, God's name is to be set aside as holy because of who God really is. He is above us. He's above all things. He's the creator. He's the generator of life. And as I said before, all good things come from him. It's the opposite of using God's name to curse, right? You know that as followers of Jesus as God's people here on the earth, one of the important roles we play is to ensure that the people around us have a correct idea of who God is, that they're growing to understand accurately who God is. Do you know that the enemy is constantly trying to infiltrate our ranks as a human race with lies about God? 
Started with Adam and Eve, right? Does God really have your best at heart? Is he just trying to keep you from having fun or from having more? The questioning of God's character has been going on from the beginning. And you and I have the opportunity and the privilege to represent God accurately. And we're to pray that God's name would be kept holy. That there would be an accurate view on the earth among men and women of who God really is. This is essential, again, for the human race to successfully move in the right direction. As the idea, the knowledge of who God is diminishes, then evil increases. May your kingdom come soon. The kingdom of God, the area in which God rules and reigns, where God's will is done in the lives of people. Our hearts and our prayers are to be focused in that direction. So often we focus on the wickedness, the evil, the difficulty around us. It's hard not to. The counteraction to that is to pray constructively that God's will would be done, that God's ways would grow. And of course, as we pray this way, our hearts and minds get more aligned with who God is and the direction he wants us to go. We become representatives of him in the world. The second thing that Jesus taught his disciples do is to recognize the true source of their provision. Ask God when you pray to meet your needs. Jesus taught them this way. He said, as you pray, pray this way. Father, give us each day the food we need. Where does your provision come from? Do you know that you will, begin, you will begin to worship the source of your provision? Where you believe your sustenance come from, what helps you sustain your business, what helps you meet your financial obligations, wherever you believe the source of that is, you will begin to worship that source. You'll focus in on that source. Jesus, knowing that and knowing how difficult it is for us, to really stay focused on God and worshiping him, he said, pray, and when you pray, ask God to meet your needs. Remember that he is the true source of all that is. He created this world. He sustains this world. And as you work, and as you generate income, and as you are able to, uh, to, to do that important work, remember that God is really the source of all that you have and all that you need. Do not get your perspective twisted. When we do that, Jesus warned against it because of what happens in our hearts. Matthew 6, verse 24, Jesus said, No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Met a young lady this week who uh, was working in a place I hadn't didn't know she was working there. It comes to our church. I said, "Hey, you got a new job? Yeah, I've been working here a while. They pay me more money." I said, "Wow, that's great. Good for you." And she was like, "Well, is it? I mean, I don't just want to be all about the money. You know, I don't want to just be focused on money. I mean, after all, money is the root of all evil." I said, "Well, actually, it's not bad for you to want to improve your situation." 
It's one of the blessings of living in the country that we do is there's opportunity. It's not bad. There's nothing wrong with that. And by the way, it's not that money's the root of all evil. It's the love of money, right? The love of money's the root of all evil. So uh, uh, just in, try to encourage her with that, that. Hey, listen, it's not wrong to pursue financial gain, to grow our businesses, to grow our households, to have more. It's not wrong. But do you remember and do you know and are you firmly rooted in the true source of that provision? It's God. And are you asking him first before you make your plans of how you're going to make things work? Third, Jesus said, understand the nature of confession and forgiveness. Asking God for forgiveness should be a part of our daily prayer life. And as we do it, Jesus reminds his disciples that what happens simultaneously is our asking God for forgiveness and our forgiving others. He said it this way, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. These things happen simultaneously. We've talked a lot about this, but the importance of uh, daily asking God for forgiveness. Again, this isn't for salvation. We're not praying for forgiveness for salvation every day, but we're praying for forgiveness so that our relationship with God stays healthy and that our souls don't get clogged up with sin. In order for us to stay healthy, we need to be asking forgiveness and giving it away. Fourth, Jesus encourages his disciples to pray for the strength to stand against temptation. And don't let us yield to temptation. How are we to stand or respond to temptation? We see in the scriptures a couple of different responses. One is to resist. The Bible says to resist the devil and he will flee from you. We see in Ephesians 6 uh, in relation to the uh, armor of God that it is to uh, strengthen us and give us uh, the power to stand firm against the devil's attacks as he comes against us. And so we're to resist, put up a resistance against sin and against temptation. We see in Joseph's story that he ran from temptation. Sometimes that's the response we need to take. We don't have the strength to resist it. Better to run from it, get away from it. Don't allow it to enter your life or have an effect on you. Sometimes running is what we need to do. We see Jesus take the approach of rebuking temptation. When he was tempted by Satan, he quoted scripture and rebuked the lies coming from the enemy. This is the posture we're to have against temptation. Jesus says each day when you pray, you're asking for forgiveness and you're forgiving others and then you're asking God to give you the strength not to yield. First John chapter two, there's a, a poem or a creed or a song from the early church that John quotes in this, um, in his writings. And uh, verse 14 ends with a phrase I think is really powerful. It's kind of been sticking with me and I've been trying to encourage young people with this. He talks about different groups that he's writing to. He writes to older believers and, and how they're, uh, they know God and they're standing for him. But towards the end of this verse, he says, I have written to you who are young in the faith because you're strong. God's word lives in your hearts and you have won your battle with the evil one. 
We're in a battle. You know that. (laughs) And we're praying and are to pray to God for the strength to stand. As we approach prayer, Jesus ends with a parable in this passage where he's teaching them the posture to take. He says, suppose that you were in bed asleep one night and you had a friend show up at your door around midnight. Okay, been traveling all day. They come in unannounced and they need uh, some food. They're exhausted and they need to eat. But the problem is you're out of bread. You don't have anything to feed them. And remember in this time in the history of the world, in this culture, they're baking bread probably every day and don't have the ability to save it very long. Um, and so uh, this was an issue and, and they have friends show up at midnight and, and you're out. He goes, what would you do? And, and Jesus says, well, you're going to go to your neighbor and you're start pounding on the door at midnight. <clears throat> hey, wake up, friend. <laughs> I need some bread. I got a, a, a friend that just showed up and I need to feed him and I'm out. Could you loan me? Could you give me? Some bread. He said, well, your neighbor is going to say, leave me alone. (laughs) Go back to bed, man. The door's locked. We're all in bed for the night. I'm not, come on, man. He goes, you're not going to give up. You're in a tight spot. You've got to feed your guest. It's required to honor them. And so uh, you're going to keep knocking. And he goes, "Uh, even if your friend would not do it for friendship's sake, (laughs) just out of uh being honorable, he's going to get up eventually and get you that bread. When you pray, Jesus says, keep on praying. Pray with an urgency. Don't quit praying. Don't quit going to God for your needs, for the things that you're hopeful for. Don't get discouraged when you don't get the answer right away. God isn't a God of instant gratification, right? But God is a God who knows you and he's interested in what's happening to you. It's not that you're trying to get his attention because he's not aware. But, but Jesus is just saying, pray with that urgency. Pray with that heart of, God, I, I got to have this. I got to have you help me. I've got to have your assistance here. Please interject into my situation, into my life. I need your help. How often do we pray with that kind of urgency? Do you recognize that you need that kind of help in your life. Sometimes we pray differently. There was a, uh, a man who had to go to town and do some errands. He took his son with him and they were in town over lunch. And so they stopped in at Scotty's to get a burger and fries, right? And as they were sitting there eating, before they started to eat, they got their meal. Dad said to his son, um, hey, son, we're in public today. Let's just pray a silent prayer. And so dad bowed his head, son bowed his head. They prayed, dad got done praying, looked up, son was still closed eyes, bowed head. And it went on for quite a while. He was starting to wonder what was going on. Finally, his son looked up and he said, son, what in the world were you praying about so long? I said, dad, well, it's hard to know. It was a silent prayer. <laughs> hey, um, don't, don't pray silent prayers to God. Keep on praying with an urgency. Develop the habit of talking to God spending time with him, getting in a place where you can connect to him. Pray for uh, God's name to be kept holy, for his kingdom to come, his will to be done here on earth. Pray for provision, the things you need. Pray that he would bless the work of your hands, that he would provide 
the resources that you need to accomplish what it is you're called to do, the responsibilities that you have. Pray for forgiveness and at the same time give forgiveness. And pray for strength to win your battle with the devil. God, thank you for your goodness to us, for the way you love us. Thank you for being our heavenly father, for being the one who knows us intimately, who cares about us deeply. And Father, I pray that you would help us as we live our lives in this physical world that's easy for us to neglect our relationship with you, not recognize the incredible privilege we have to come directly before the throne of grace, to find help in our time of need. God, I pray that you'd help us to live with an awareness of our need for you. Live with an awareness of the need we have to connect with you on a daily basis, on a weekly basis. Help us develop that habit of praying and talking to you. We pray this in Jesus' name.